in order to build longstanding relationships that will grow and grow as time goes on. And as the economic downturn goes and turns back up again, we're planting those seeds with these customers, focusing on that value. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hi, everyone. This is Justin Levy. I'm the Director of Social and Influencer Marketing at Demandbase. And we're here with Jill Santos from Salesforce for another episode of Sunny Side Up. How are you today, Jill? I'm doing pretty all right. A little under the weather. It's that time of year, but I'm really excited to be here. (laughs) Great. Well, not great that you're under the weather, but great that you're excited to be here. (laughs) Um, So to start off, Can you tell me a bit about your background and your career? Yeah, absolutely. So I have been in sales 10 years as of last month, which is pretty wild. Started off at Yelp as an individual contributor um, and sold advertising to small businesses for about a year and a half there before moving into leadership. Um, So I've actually been in a leadership position as a sales manager um, for about eight years now. Most of my career has been spent leading teams. I've worked at Glassdoor as a small business leader. And more recently, obviously, I've been at Salesforce for three and a half years. Started off in our really small, small business space, working with one to 10 full-time employee account businesses. But now I lead our marketing cloud practice across the U.S. in our small business segment for retail and consumer goods. Great. Now, in your contribution to our Women in Sales Month ebook, you mentioned the need for value-focused selling. Can you expand on what you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. I think we, when we look at the landscape today, when we think about the economy, when we think about small businesses, it's a very volatile place. And so everyone is going to try and win on price in order to snag the bag. But what we're trying to focus on on our team is really meeting our customers where they are. I actually heard a great analogy the other day that I was excited to share is that at Salesforce, we talk a lot about the art of the possible. What can you do with your business? How far can it go on our platform across our different clouds and offerings? But sometimes we also have to acknowledge that some of some companies, big or small, are just simply trying to navigate the nightmare. So really having candid conversations with our customers and understanding, I could show you everything, but at the same time, I want to make sure I'm meeting you where you are. And what we find is building those relationships and really honing in on what customers are trying to solve today, as opposed to next year or two years from now, we want to land and expand. Let's get the the deal done today. Let's talk about how we can build your business today. What are your immediate needs, especially if you're navigating the nightmare? Um, And we found a really good response from our customers. They tend to appreciate that we're not just trying to get as much money as we can, Obviously, we are in sales. The goal is to close business. But in order to build longstanding relationships that will grow and grow as time goes on and as the economic downturn goes and turns back up again, we're planting those seeds with these customers, focusing on that value. If you use this product today, it will help influence this part of your ROI or your business. That is why you should work with us, not simply because we have the lowest price or because we're willing to get in there and negotiate. I think that's excellent advice and it's something that kind of makes the businesses that are going to win during these uncertain times versus those that are going to lose customers or turn off prospects because the businesses that do focus on that value focused selling are 
more focused on the relationships and they understand what's going on with the market, they're probably going through it themselves or their company's going through it. So to focus on understanding where your prospect is and what they are going through professionally as an individual, but also as a company, I think is very valuable and kind of proves itself in the long run. It provides for a stronger relationship in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. I would say for myself, I I always try, obviously I run a small business team. So a lot of the folks on my team are in their first one to two years of closing. And so I try to use a lot of personal anecdotes and experiences to really paint the picture for my team of understanding how to meet their customers where they are. Example, my dishwasher has been broken for a month and a half, but my (laughs) husband is the one who typically handles the dishes in our house. So I was explaining to my team that he, as the end user, is the one who feels the pain of the broken dishwasher because he has to wash everything by hand. But myself, I'm the economic buyer. I would be the one buying the new dishwasher. It doesn't really affect me on the day-to-day. My dishes are still clean. Maybe his hands are a little more chapped, but you know we're still getting the job done. Until yesterday when our washing machine also went on the fritz and we went to, the, we went to Lowe's and we bought a new dishwasher and a washer dryer. And it just comes down to like, If your end user feels the pain, but the economic buyer doesn't understand the impact overall, you're not going to get anybody to budge. And so really thinking through how does this resonate on every level of the decision-making process of the impact level, the ROI, even in silly examples like that, we, we deal with these things every single day. So I think, again, meeting people where they are and being more of a human when we're thinking about how to navigate deals and even educating our buyers on how and what it takes to buy technology especially in the small business space, a lot of smaller businesses don't really know how to buy technology and what's important to consider. It's not a tangible product. It's while we're selling it, it's mostly an idea. So really, really painting the bridge on that value and what it will do for them. I can't wait until our appliances come this week personally, because they're going to be new (laughs) and our dishes will be cleaner than ever and our clothes will be extra fresh. So I definitely felt the pain after yesterday. But yeah, just like, again, relating to your customers on a human level and, and in turn, as a sales leader to your sellers, this is the stuff that we deal with every day. And this is how it can resonate with your customers. We just went through something with our dishwasher <laughs> a, a few weeks ago. And uh, so I know exactly how you feel. But when you do coach your reps, like you said, they're in their first couple of years or so of being in sales. They're not seasoned. And now they're coming in because of these uncertain times that lend themselves to tighter budgets, how do you coach them to deal with rejection? I I would think that it would be different than in times when everything's going gangbusters, right? And it's like, right. okay, you dealt this one person, we can get past that with this or with that. And oh, by the way, you you have this amazing success rate because the industry is where it is right now. But now, beyond trying to meet them where they're at and understand what they're going through, I could foresee that in your first one or two years of being in the industry, that rejection can hit hard or harder than it would hit someone like, say, you, who has spent a long time in sales. Being rejected. So how do you talk to them about that? (laughs) Yeah. 
You know, it's interesting. I think that what there's a couple of couple of things to think about here. Number one, nobody likes to be rejected. We know that. Um, and I think with like less tenured sellers, they actually tend to avoid it more than they run face first. So what I've noticed is that folks will be like, well, I don't want to bring up a mutual success plan because I don't want to feel have them feel like I'm pressuring them. And then they might ghost me. And you know, I think that again, we can relate it back to regular life. I think sales and dating are very, very similar. I often use like dating website analogies uh, with my team. Like you got to keep swiping to find the right one, meaning keep prospecting kind of thing. But in reality, it's the same idea. Like if they would, if they wanted to, they would. And so if you send a mutual success plan with the intention of just aligning on timeline and process scares them off, then I would push you to call them and say, hey, I want to understand where I went wrong. And so it really comes down to giving reps the confidence to just go and ask and go and ask, you know, where did we go wrong or how can we approach this? When is a better time for us to approach this? And just get to the no as quickly as possible. I also think that if we're not taking the time to understand when we lose a deal, why we lost it, then we are not learning anything. And so my senior AVP over here, Jason Foster, he always says crisis creates opportunity, which I know is a saying lots of folks say, but in reality, every no gets you that much closer to a yes, simply because you understand what to avoid. If you have the same objection over and over and over again, I always say it's like a doctor who keeps messing up surgeries and then it's like, well, I got another surgery on the schedule, so gotta keep going. Like That's not a, a practical application of improvement. And so really taking the step back, we do things like dead deal reviews. We'll go back and say like, where do we think we misstepped? I will give on the spot coaching. We'll chat right after a call and say, what do you think you did really well? Where do you think you could have tightened up? And then give really actionable next steps. As an example, one of my reps just last week, she had said, I kind of noticed that the end user wasn't really paying attention during our demo and she wasn't saying anything. And on the call next week where we review our scope of work with our implementation partner, she's not even invited to the call. And I said, pick up the phone, go find out. Hey, are you, were you just bored? Were things not connecting? Were you multitasking? And ask her, what do you like about the product? How do you think it's going to affect your day? Because the decision makers are aligned, but if the end user is not aligned, then you're going to lose the deal because they're never going to use it. And you need to create trust in both the end user as well as the decision maker to get the deal over the line. And she just slacked me this morning and said, I got on the phone with her and she said she actually really did like everything. She was just quiet because her bosses were asking a lot of questions. But just taking that next step and finding, um, I think a funny way to think about this is like, if you've ever walked into your house after you've been on a vacation and your house smells a little weird, you play find the smell. Is it the trash? Did the dog make a mess, right? If you just sit in your house and go, well, it stinks in here, but I'm not going to go and find the smell, you're going to have a stinky house. So for me, it's like, go find the smell, go find out where you might lose and then create little insurance policies around that loss. Hey, I'm concerned that you weren't super involved on the demo. Let's talk through how you actually think this is going to resonate in your day to day, as opposed to assuming that they've put the blocks to get building blocks together or made those connections on their own. Just go out of your way to really focus on how you can make it happen. And I find that when people are able to overcome objections before they happen, they're way more empowered and they're a little braver. I think sales is a lot about bravery and asking tough questions when the questions need to be asked. But as Mark Cuban says, selling is helping people. And if you really look at it through that scope, 
I think that the rejection becomes less personal and more business. It's something that you can work against. And at the end of the day, an upfront contract of saying, my goal is for us to find a way to keep working together or a part as friends. Either way, if we are not hitting the nail on the head and giving you the good information you need to make the right decision, then we probably don't deserve your business right now. And just keeping it as simple as that. So I think trying to remove some of the emotion from the rejection, just focus on the facts. Did they have all the information they needed? Did you do everything you could to make sure they did? That's excellent. And seems like that could go for reps of even seasoned reps, right? People that are beyond kind of your the the types of reps that you work with kind of uh, first yeah. couple of years but in, to be in fair, the industry. I love working with small business reps or or very or you know folks in their first year or two of selling simply because it is very rewarding for me personally to see those aha moments and see people really get those big wins early and those big losses early because at least we know that we're working together to build them to be those seasoned reps together. Absolutely. Now, we, we're recording this during Women in Sales Month, as I mentioned. And so if we transition this slightly to talk about you being a female leader in, in technology, what advice do you give or do you coach the younger females just out of college coming into the workforce who may see the differences between, say, male and female sales reps or believe that there may be a ceiling that they can't break through in their career. Do you can give different advice between the male and female reps on your team or do you see it pretty even across the board? Yeah, I think that for me, it's really like regardless of gender across the board, I think less tenured reps are still going to be afraid to kind of, they don't know where to start and where to stop. They don't know where to push and pull. I think to female reps advantage, they tend to be a little more emotionally intelligent and they might notice a quote unquote vibe shift, if you will, or, ooh, that, that didn't land as well as I wanted. Or I do notice that person's not paying attention as much. Whereas some of my male reps may not notice that as much. But what I do find is that female reps don't necessarily always, quote unquote, find the smell, right? They don't always go out and find the problem because they're fearful of rejection or coming across as pushy. But I still have those conversations with my male reps as well. I know I've already referenced Mark Cuban, but he's kind of the person I've been using my team to embody of thinking like when he comes into a meeting, he's going to be hyper prepared. If he doesn't think it's a good fit for someone, he's going to be very clear. Um, and he's always going to be very cordial and polite and professional. That is your job, right? And so when I'm coaching younger female reps, I'm talking about what do you want to do? What is it that you're trying to accomplish? If you want to go and be a top rep, what are the things that you know are actively standing in your way? One thing we do is like an alter ego kind of uh, exercise. So I'll ask a rep, um, again, gender doesn't matter, um, but I'll ask them, who is someone that you really look up to, whether in our immediate line of work in the celebrity world, whomever that you think is just an absolute boss. And if they can't come up with somebody straight away, I'll then I'll just transition. I'll say, what do you think is like the toughest bad girl name you could think about? And a lot of people say Victoria and Veronica. I don't really know why, but I love it. And we create this alter ego. And it's like, okay, if Veronica was walking into a meeting right now, what would she be? How would she carry herself? How would she ask her questions? What would she do? And so kind of removing people from their own sense of who they are and their self 
creates this kind of armor where you can go. And if I'm slacking you on the side, I'm like, yeah, Veronica, get it. They get really excited and they laugh, but like it really helps them embody this other persona that maybe they, they wouldn't do themselves. And I think lastly, just folks coming out of college in general or just younger, like SDRs, BDRs, things like that um, in tenure, know your objectives. Don't go in and say, like, I just want to get promoted. Like, understand how to massage a conversation and have those conversation skills in order to get what you want. You can put a nice spin on it. You can be super polite. But even for myself, a little smiley emoji goes really far when you're trying to deliver a really specific message, which seems like a small touch. But in reality, it all comes down to, like, have you done your prep? Are you making your asks clear and known? And no one should be assuming for you what it is that you want. So just real clear and effective communication skills, I think, are the most important thing. I, I know you're, we'll probably talk about books and recommendations later, but a really, really great book for this explicit thing is Crucial Conversations. It is the first management book that I ever read eight years ago, but I often refer back to it and revisit it probably every six to eight months. And it really helps you kind of formulate having tougher or more critical conversations with peers, with customers, with your family. And I really always recommend that one. I think it's just a really good way for folks to understand that like when you have to get an important message across, you have to keep in mind that you start with heart, which is something from the book, and you just have to make really clear asks. That's excellent. And a book that I haven't read before. So... As we go through this economic downturn, we've talked about value-focused selling and dealing with rejection, you know, how you coach your younger reps to deal with that. What other practical, actionable advice would you provide? Like someone listening to this could hop off the podcast afterwards and go implement it immediately. And doesn't necessarily have to be focused at uh, SDR, BDR, or someone like that. It could even be to a le- another leader in sales. But do you have practical, practical, actionable advice that you could provide? Yeah, for sure. I think something that I, excuse me, I know something that I share with my team often is what are you doing to upskill in your downtime? So for me in the morning when I'm prepping my breakfast, or walking the dog, I have, I'm listening to a, a book or a podcast where I'm reading up on the Wall Street Journal, which candidly, a few years ago, I probably would have never done. So really focusing on what are things that I can apply not only to my job, but in the long run. That's, I think that's excellent advice. And it's something that I do as well, right? So beyond a book or a podcast, you know, something that I started doing is at Demand Base, we, have a L&D budget so that we can go use it to extend or upskill, you know, our knowledge base. And so one of those subscription services that I have is Masterclass. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so every morning when I'm doing my warm up at the gym, I watch another chapter of a whichever masterclass I'm subscribing to for that that point in time and you know, they have a, a wonderful list of leaders in every type of genre that you can imagine but for the purposes of this conversation within business and leadership so i love that yeah now, i have encouraged my reps to 
get into masterclass as well. I would say just some other really great places you can listen that are free. Obviously, Libby, the Libby app is like a library Mm -hmm. app where you can get access to books just through your local library on your phone. But I've been listening to, I'm a big listener. I like podcasts, so I listen to books because it feels like a longer podcast. But The Likeability Trap um, is a new book that I've been listening to, and it's about how to succeed as a woman in business while still being authentically yourself. And I would say uh, it is by far one of the most impactful business books I have listened to or digested in 10 years of selling, really making me think about how I show up as a woman in sales and in leadership and how I can encourage those around me to do the same. And also just kind of comforting to know that a lot of women deal with the same things that go on in my head as well. And also 30 Minutes to President's Club um, is another fantastic podcast where every week they release a 30-minute episode on something really specific to sales, mutual planning, selling through your champion. Um, And I often bring those as team meeting prep for my team where they listen to it ahead of our team meeting and then we have a discussion about it. And um, I found that it's really, really effective. You mentioned two books, a couple of apps, and a couple of podcasts. Now, if you had to choose a blog, mention a blog, a newsletter, a website, a, a specific video or video series, do you have some other recommendations that people could jot, jot down? Oh, my goodness. I have so many. Um, I will name two more. I would say uh, I personally work in the retail and consumer goods space selling our marketing products. So I subscribe to the Retail Dive, which is a newsletter you get directly to your inbox. And it's excellent, gives you a good high-level overview on the headline front, and then you can dive in on specific trends that are happening in the retail space. And then outside of that, there is a TED Talk by Sean Aker called uh, The Happy Secret to Great Work or The Happiness Secret. I can't remember the name of it exactly, but it's the hap- I think it's The Happy Secret to Great Work. And I have been watching that TED Talk for probably nine years. I watch it probably every eight, like I said, eight to nine months. And it's all about you can't get to where you want to be simply through just wanting to get there. You should be happy in the work that you're doing and happiness will lead you to success as opposed to constantly pushing the goalposts back because you'll never feel accomplished. So those would be two that I strongly recommend. The TED Talk YouTube channel is so fantastic. Oh my gosh, yes. You can can definitely go down a rabbit hole and watch a hour or two of your day go by just because you keep clicking into the the next video and some of them are have become big stars of sorts in these industries. I have a, a couple of people I know that gave a TEDx talk and that's propelled their careers into all sorts of heights. So I love the TED Talk YouTube channel. Yeah. I mean, TED has been around, TED Talks have been around forever, right? And I think like even just the science of the way that they're organized, where they know that people cannot hold their attention for more than 18 minutes. So no TED Talk is more than 18 minutes, right? But I would say just in terms of being very practical, right? You can put a TED Talk on and then you could walk out of the room. You could be, you know, slacking on the side. You can be doing a ton of things. My goal with whenever I listen to anything that is developmental, where I think will serve me in my day to day is like, walk away with actionable steps to actually apply to my day-to-day. And it takes a little creative thinking sometimes to understand how the themes and what was shared actually connect to your day job. But that's the challenge and that's the fun is that 
I can gather and create information for my team, for myself, from little day-to-day moments like the dishwasher example, all the way up to a TED Talk. And I think that you have to have that focus. And I know it's hard to focus these days because we have so many things we could be looking at and our brains are completely overwhelmed with information. Um, But slowing down and really thinking about how you can apply what you learn to what you actually do in order to make money, I think is like a very important version of self-care that we don't focus on as much because it might just feel like, oh, it's another thing I have to do. And that's something I think less tenured sellers actually struggle with is like another development item. We're always learning. The sooner that you can kind of relinquish yourself to the idea that you're always going to be improving and the resources are there in order to do that and you enjoy it, I think the more you learn. And those are the reps. If you look at other reps in the industry and LinkedIn is great for this, right? You can see successful reps posting their tips and tricks and the things that they've done. And you have these influencers of the space of sorts. If you were to dive deeper, you would see that they have done a lot to upskill themselves. Absolutely. Whether it's taking certifications that the industry offers or doing learning ways to do deeper research on their prospects or learn more. So I completely agree. It's something that though I'm on the marketing side of the house, I believe in and I do for myself. And it's it's beyond valuable, especially in this downturn, right? Yeah. So what are those skills that you can learn to help you now? But this is cyclical. So we will turn around and to have taken the time now to build those skills for the future will only help you be that farther advanced in your career and in your capabilities to sell more. Yeah. We actually have a a quarterly meeting of the female leaders in our marketing cloud segment. um, And we just had it on Friday. And one of the leaders shared that in the toughest times is when you learn the most. And it's kind of hard to see it when it's happening because obviously there's stress and there's anxiety because obviously we all want to do well. We're all probably a little type A or type A plus, as I like to call it. And so when you actually look up and you see like, wow, in those moments where I was absolutely at my end of the rope, I was able to get through it. And so something that I tell myself very often is like, you have done hard things before. You are learning and just take every lesson as you can with grace. And other folks are stressed too. So it's really hard to separate the personal from the professional, but we're all just trying to get through it. And the more that you lean into the tension and the friction, I think the more you learn, but also shows you how much how much more committed you are to a positive outcome than others around you. One last thing I'll say on this thing, this topic is like sales careers, it's all a game. Not not in the way that it does, it's not serious, but there are rules and you have to subscribe to those rules in order to get ahead. And your brand is a huge part of that. And I think that that's something I share with my younger sellers because they don't necessarily know that. And they might read a message the wrong way and really take it personally, but it's all how you respond. It's all how you come prepared. And your brand is part of how you propel yourself That doesn't mean everybody has to post on LinkedIn about their innermost feelings about X, Y, and Z. But realistically, it's like how you show up at work every day with the let's get it done mentality 
um, I think really can propel careers. So you've provided excellent advice during this episode. If anyone wants to continue that conversation with you or connect with you offline, how can listeners get in touch with you after the podcast? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, my LinkedIn name as of now is Jill Santos Hutchison because uh, I just got married. Um, but at work, I go by Jill Santos because it's just easier. Um, but yeah, just find me on LinkedIn. Happy to chat and uh, come with the point of view, though. Come with what you want to discuss. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the I'd love to pick your brain. So if you can send me questions or specific topics that you want to learn more about, I would also just say that like any and all advice that I've given today is things that I have accumulated and gleaned from experiences that have either been passed down to me through other leaders and other sellers and peers, or just me kind of connecting the dots in my everyday life to my professional career. So I think my only, I would say, if you want to chat, talk about areas of your life where you're like, wow, that's actually highly applicable to my job. And this is how I can focus on it. That's fantastic. Well, Thank you for taking the time out of your extremely busy schedule to spend a few minutes with us here on Sunnyside Up. And I hope that the listeners do connect with you and are able to get value not only out of this episode, but anything else that they can glean from you outside of this and if they do have questions for you. So thank you. Absolutely. It was such a pleasure. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demandbase TV. 